Hello and welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. And welcome to the second of two episodes devoted to the saga of Gunlag Serpentung. I don't know how this happened. Somehow we ended up being so engrossed in the summary part of this episode that we've had to separate out the judgment section as episode 9b. Yeah, that wasn't really supposed to happen, was it? I mean, this saga isn't even that complicated a story, so how did we manage to pass the time like we did? I think it was all your shilly-shallying digressions that slowed us down. (laughs) Here here we go again. I know, my wife was already sick of me saying that. Mm -hmm. We're all (laughs) sick of you saying it. But it really is a charming phrase, don't you think? No. No? (laughs) Oh, well. Well, it's part of my permanent vocabulary, and I plan on using it a lot with my kids. Your children deserve better. (laughs) Why don't we start with a quick refresher of the saga? Okay. So there's this guy named Gunlog. He's the son of Elugi the Black. He's a Mm -hmm. bit of a shilly-shallier, and he has Mm -hmm. trouble staying put, evidenced by his decision (laughs) to leave Iceland for foreign courts rather than stay and claim the hand of his beloved Helga the Fair. While abroad, Gunlog entertains a variety of kings and earls, uh, earns a fair amount of wealth, and a pretty good reputation. That may be debatable. Yeah, perhaps, but now's not the time. We'll get to it. Okay. Uh, at the court of the Swedish king Olaf, he insults the poetry of Hraven, another Icelandic poet, and shames him in front of the king. The two agree to settle this matter at a later date. And so Gunlaug continues his tour of northern Europe. Hraven, on the other hand, rushes home to Iceland and arranges to marry Helga if Gunlaug doesn't return home soon enough. Right, and Gunlaug almost makes it, but he's delayed in England and then again in Iceland when he stops for a wrestling match. Well, needless to say, he doesn't get there in time and Hraven marries Helga. Gunlaug and Hraven fight the last duel ever in Iceland, but it ends on a technicality with a scratched cheek. Mm-hmm. With dueling suddenly outlawed, the two agree to meet in Norway for the final battle. And eventually they do, but <laughs> Gunlaug, as is his wont, wanders around a bit first. When the two men finally meet, they fulfill the prophecy of Thorstein's dream and kill each other. And there's a minor kerfuffle that follows between Gunlaug and Hraven's family, and Helga gets remarried and dies, <laughs> but that more or less wraps it up. Wait, a minor kerfuffle? This is where our body count comes from. That's all we got. Now, it occurs to me, John, we just ran through that summary very, very quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. Why does it take us so long the first time? I don't know. (laughs) Too much punch bowl piddling. Um, That that all seemed very simple. I know. It's it really is when you when you look back upon it. Um, Oh well. Maybe what we need to do is record these episodes first, and then throw them away and record them again in ninety seconds. (laughs) That would save everyone a lot of time. Get it. Get it all out of our systems. Uh, anyway, uh, so in this episode, uh, we'll evaluate Gunlog Saga through our usual categories. Our seven categories, as always, are Best Bloodshed, Body Count, Nicknames, Notable Witticisms, Outlawry, in which we'll exile one figure from Iceland and the sagas, Thingmen, in which Andy and I will choose supporters from the saga cast to join our all-star teams, and a final rating section, which is more or less what it sounds like. Why don't we just dive right in, Andy? Let's do it. Best Bloodshed. So I think our first bloodshed that we should consider, probably the most violent of all in the saga, and the most interesting to me, it's when Hraven and Gunlaug meet in their first duel. It says Wait, here... Vi- most violent? Yeah, let me read what it says. Oh. Hraven was to strike the first blow since he had been challenged. He hacked at the top of Gunlaug's shield, and the blow was so mightily struck that the sword promptly broke off below the hilt. The point of the sword glanced up and caught Gunlaug on the cheek, scratching him slightly. <laughs> what do you think? That's your that's your best bloodshed nominee. No. I've suffered worse wounds from a cat. <laughs> uh, well, you know, blood is shed, and it's uh, significant. 
Uh-huh. No, I guess... Yeah, no. I can't even accept that as a nominee. Uh, The whole point in the saga is that everyone is remarkably disappointed by this this act, that it's just a total failure as a duel. Well, what I meant to say was that our first candidate should be Pravin and Gunlaug's (laughs) second fight. Ah, now you're talking. Now we've got something. And as the saga tells us, the two of them, Hrafen and Gunlog, fought on, setting about each other remorselessly with heavy blows and fearless counterattacks. Gunlog was using the sword Ethelred had given him, and it was a formidable weapon. In the end, he hacked at Hrafen with a mighty blow and chopped off his leg. Mm. Yet Hrafen did not collapse completely, but dropped back to a tree stump and rested the stump of his leg on it. See, now that's, that's a best bloodshed nominee. That's more like it. And Absolutely. you have wordplay by the, uh, by the author there, which is also quite nice. Well, um, it's actually the kind of thing that you see, uh, more than once in the sagas. People will use a chunk of wood or a, or a, a tree stump, uh, as a kind of way to balance, uh, their, their missing leg. Right. Onan Treyfoot successfully defeats an enemy at one point by pivoting at a crucial moment so that the enemy's sword becomes stuck in the stump of wood that Onan is using to balance himself on his one leg. Since his enemy is then unable to fight on, Onan is able to lop off his arm uh, quickly and end the duel. Yeah, but that's somebody that's had a stump for a while. He knows how to use his leg. This is a Absolutely. guy that just got his leg cut off, and he hops on over to a stump. Quite right. He's clearly read other sagas and knows how to behave. Well, it's not like he can use the stump that's still in the ground <laughs> to help him. I think this is more the, the uh, saga author just being a little bit silly. Yeah, and it's worth noting that the Icelandic supports uh, the reading of that as a pun. Uh, in the Icelandic, it's Stofni and Stufinum. Uh, for the tree stump and the leg stump. So that, that, uh, helps defend me for making a joke of it in the, in the earlier recording, which you responded to with dead silence. Did I? <laughs> yes, you did. It made me feel bad as I was editing and, and putting that together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, my first nominee is gonna come immediately after that, and I mean immediately after that in the text, as Hraven asks Gunlag for a brief break. Uh, so that he can gather himself after having lost his leg. Uh, and Gunlog tries at first to claim victory in the duel, but then uh, is willing to draw water for Hraven when Hraven asks him for a drink before continuing. Uh, Gunlog, unbelievably, carries water to Hraven in his helmet. Well, makes um, sense. And so we pick up here after Gunlog demands that Hraven promise that he won't try to take any advantage of him in this moment. Uh, Gunlog went to a brook, fetched some water in his helmet, and took it to Hraven. But as Hraven reached out with his left hand for it, he hacked at Gunlog's head with the sword in his right hand, causing a hideous wound. Hideous wound does sound good. Hideous head wound is pretty bad. Yeah, especially Um, when you know the guy doesn't recover from it. Absolutely right. You got anything else, or are you going to bow before me? Uh, I'm definitely not bowing before that, and that is not going to win. Um, I'm going to offer one that I'm not a huge supporter of, but it's also worth considering because we have very little bloodshed. By all means, waste our listeners' time. We're very well used to doing that. (laughs) Now, Elugi the Black, um, Mm -hmm. on his uh, rampage trying to avenge the death of his son, Gunlog. Mm -hmm. Um, If you remember correctly, uh, Elugi has a dream in which he sees Gunlog standing there all covered in blood. And from that dream, he gets the idea that Hraven was a little bit treacherous, did something wrong during the duel, mm. and killed uh, Gunlaug. So Ilugi, In fairness, it's an entirely accurate assumption that he's making. The power of the dreams, John. The power Absolutely of dreams. Right. So Ilugi goes uh, uh, on a quest for revenge after he doesn't get any compensation, and he goes and fights a bunch of dudes 
And I'm most interested in the cutting off of Thorgrim's foot. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it really doesn't... I was going to read from it, but it really doesn't say anything terribly interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it says he... It's a hell of a, of a nominee you've yeah, got. Yeah, it's pretty great. It says he came upon some of Onan's kinsmen. One of them was named Bjorn and the other Thorgrim. Ilugi mm-hmm. had Bjorn killed and Thorgrim's foot cut off. And then he rode home. <laughs> That's about it. So maybe not a great candidate after all. But I think the idea of cutting this guy's foot off is uh, is pretty funny. Well, although there is actually, if you will, a footnote attached to this section. Will I? Uh, in which we learn uh, that it's not unusual. I mean, we know this, that revenge is taken against anyone in the family, not necessarily the original uh, wrongdoer. But maiming is actually an unusual feature in sagas from this period. We do see it, but it tends to be inadvertent, as is the case with the duel between Gunlag and Robin. This kind of deliberate maiming of someone. We saw it in Hravenkel's saga, uh, and we're seeing it again here, but it is fairly unusual. Uh, you don't often see somebody intentionally disfiguring, but then allowing to live an enemy. It's a, it's a weird one. Yeah. Um, I have a final nominee. Uh, I don't know if you have one after that, but I have a final nominee. No, I'm all done. Excellent. Um this is uh, after Ilugi takes that revenge against the two uh, relative, relatives of Ravan. Uh, his son, Hermund Ilugason, uh, our old friend from Bonamana Saga, decides that he has not had sufficient revenge uh, for his brother's death. Which strikes and me so as he, weird. We've killed Why two, not? You've, you've killed one person, maimed another. No, but we've seen this in uh, Gizli Saga, right? Everybody wants their own hand in on the revenge. Right? So even if somebody else has already been killed by someone else for a killing, you still want to enact, to sort of perform revenge. And it's all to the good for our body count that's coming up. Thank goodness. So in this case, Harriman DeLugason rode out from home on his own. Because, of course, he can't have anyone with him because everybody else has already kind of finished their duel. He went north over Haltavada Heath, across the Hüttesfjord, and then to the merchant ship at Borderi. The merchants were almost ready to leave. Skipper Hravin. Uh, Skipper Hraven is a cousin of Hraven the Dueler, was ashore with several other people. Harriman rode up to him, drove his spear through him, and then rode away. Hraven's colleagues were all caught off guard by Harriman. So that's the final killing uh, in the uh, uh, feud that comes out over these duels. Uh, and what I like about this is that it's actually a, a, a mounted horseman just riding somebody down, right? Just Just running a spear through him as though a lance being used to sort of mm-hmm. spear somebody on the battlefield, and then rides away. It's kind of an unusual death in the side. Yeah, we don't really see that very often. No. Uh, but it lacks that certain something. It lacks that blood-splattering joy that we like to see in a win. Uh, so what do we got? This is uh, we got a few nominees, but nothing really I, jumps out at me. It comes down to Robin's leg being cut off and mm-hmm. Gunlog's head being cut badly. Mm-hmm. I really have to... Th- go for Robin's leg being cut off just because of the violence of it and also the clever wordplay by the author using the pun mm-hmm. stump on the stump. Yeah, I mean, as as uh, has been noted, um, Lois Bragg noted that uh, when someone is called the, the best one-legged fighter in Iceland, it's important <laughs> to remember that that's a real compliment because there were so many people who lost limbs in battle. Uh, so it's not that this is a terribly unusual kind of injury. But you have to appreciate the uh, the writer's cleverness, uh, and you have to appreciate that Robin then somehow managed to find a way, honorably or not, to take his enemy with him, despite having suffered this grievous injury. Right. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Congratulations to Gunlog and Robin. 
Right. I hope that's some consolation to Robin as he lies, <laughs> lies <laughs> yeah. in his grave. You may not have Helga, but you got best bloodshed. Right. Does, does Robin actually get the award or does Gunlog? Is it the person who is cut or the person who is doing the cutting? Well, I think it's a joint award. A jo- so they have two to of them go up there the together. Two of them. <laughs> one, one blinded by the blood pouring down his face. The other hopping up there, uh, will help each other up to the podium to accept the award. And then proceed to hack each other to pieces in front of the audience. Body Body count. count. All right, body count. Um, This time out, we have a, I wouldn't say a a, a great big number, but a reasonable body count. Um, Almost all situated in one point in the saga. This is very much like Ravenkill Saga, where you have one killing early on, and the rest are all kind of piled up at the end of the saga. Right. And this ten- um, this tends to be a pattern for the shorter, more biographical sagas that mm-hmm. uh, we we follow a person through his life, and then everything kind of climaxes in one great big battle right. or duel or something like that. Right. Frequently, the battle in which our protagonist loses his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in this case, uh, after the one killing of Thororm the Berserker in England, uh, we really don't have any other killings uh, until we get to that final duel between Hraven and Gunlag. Yeah. And in that one, we lose a bunch of people all at once. Uh, Hraven's cousins, Grimm and Olaf, are both killed by Gunlog. Thorkel the Black, Gunlog's kinsman, is killed by Hraven. Uh, five additional companions, uh, two on Hraven's side and three on Gunlog's side, are all butchered, presumably by each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, Hraven and Gunlog face off on the corpse-strewn battlefield uh, in that sort of final bit of duel that we, we talked about. Yeah. Uh, in which Shravan loses a leg and Gunlog suffers an ultimately fatal head wound. And that all happens in the matter of a paragraph or two. And it's a, yep. it's a little bit of a tangled mess in terms of how many people are there and how many people get killed. But, uh, yep. I think we did a fairly good job of, of figuring that one out. Right. Once you sort of unravel it all, there's 10 killings, uh, that take place in that duel. Right. Uh, and then we have a couple more killings that we just talked about. Bjorn and Hraven the Skipper, both kinsmen's, uh, kinsmen of Onund. Robin's mm-hmm. father. Um, and then, and now this is the most controversial one, Helga, uh, who I initially assumed we would not be including because she essentially dies of a broken heart. Right. But according to the rules of our uh, body count, it's any unnatural death. Right. And I would argue that to die uh, after losing a man of, of Gunlog's quality certainly is unnatural. Right. Because... Who would mourn the loss of Gunlog? And it's hard to say how old but she was. But that's my issue. Hard to say how old she was when she died. But she has a couple kids with uh, her new husband, whose right. name is so forgettable that I can't recall it at the moment. Um, <laughs> but she sits there longingly staring at his uh, at Gunlog's cloak every night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually dies of just love sickness. So that's completely unnatural. And therefore, I think, worthy of counting. They're together for quite some time. Um, and the, the gentleman is Thorkel, son of Halkel. Uh, that she ends up with. But yeah, he's an utterly unforgettable, he's an utterly forgettable person in the saga. And they're together long enough to have children, but clearly her heart's not in the relationship. Right. And she doesn't die of old age. That's, that's basically my point. She doesn't die of old age or anything that I would consider natural. It's basically yeah. depression. I will grudgingly accept this, um, mainly because I think it's unnatural that anybody would pine away for love of Gunlog. Yeah, I don't get that uh, either. So. For that reason alone, I will give you the body. So we end up with a total of 14, which is, you know, puts it on the lower end of the sagas, but not the lowest we've seen. All right, then. Nicknames. 
All right. So our tradition has been with nicknames to let John kind of lead the way. Um, I'm sure he's got a handful of good nicknames. I've got a, got a couple, pretty good list this time. Couple in my pocket that I hope you bring up, but we'll see what Excellent. you got. All right. Well, let me just start off by saying that we're not going to count some of the great names that we get um, in the beginning of the saga, including the family tree for Thorstein Eilson, mm-hmm. uh, whose grandfather and great grandfather and so forth are uh, some of the great people and some of the great sort of background figures in the sagas. Right. Uh, but we're going to be seeing them and discussing them at some point in Eil Saga. And so people like Kveldulf, the Night Wolf, and so forth, we'll discuss in greater detail there. Right. And no Olaf Peacock from Lexdal, the saga. Right. Or Hall for the Troublesome Poet, whose saga we're going to actually look at next. Uh, and so we'll deal with his nickname and sort of its background then. But all good uh, nicknames in their own right. Absolutely. So plenty of good nicknames in the saga. We're going to limit ourselves a little bit to the ones that sort of come into their own in this saga. Mm-hmm. Still have a good list. Uh, we'll start, obviously, with Gunlag the Serpent Tongue, Ormstungu, uh, who's actually named for his grandfather, whose name is also Gunlag the Serpent Tongue. Mm. But aptly named. Yes, absolutely. So a family tradition of being kind of uh, troublemaking poet types. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, this is also... You begin to see here uh, the origins of a name like Grimmer Wormtongue uh, in Lord of the Rings. Right. Uh, we have Helga the Fair, which, of course, is, as we know, a uh, a fitting nickname because of her great beauty. Mm-hmm. Although there's some suggestion that her life is a bit cursed and that there's sort of all this unhappiness that goes around her. She herself is beautiful and uh, everyone enjoys her company. She's kind of the typical um, uh, romance narrative object of affection. Mm-hmm. What I don't know what the word. Yeah. Well, the damsel in distress almost. I mean, she's not in distress particularly, but um, she doesn't really have much agency in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, whether she's married to Hunlog or Thorkel or anyone seems to be largely up to other people. Uh, even her birth, right? She's due to be exposed and a sort of series of events occurs in which she is shipped off to her aunt and uncle's house to be raised, but then at the age of six is simply reclaimed by her birth parents and brought back home. And at no point do we get anything from her about how she feels about this, about being moved back and forth. Mm -hmm. Um, Helga, I haven't counted up her lines, but I'm guessing that she has very few and that the ones that she has are largely passive. Mm. Uh, I think at one point she says, well, it's for other people to decide whether or not I marry. That's interesting. I don't know if we should have this conversation here, but, um, uh, Preben, <laughs> well, we're having it by yeah, God. Preben Mueller-Brack Sorensen makes a very big deal of Helga's character in the mm-hmm. saga, focusing in particular on her as a romance figure, mm-hmm. and that we see in her an expression of emotions unlike we see in almost any other female character in the sagas. Mm-hmm. Maybe perhaps well, compare her to uh, Gudrun in Laxdala Saga, um, but yeah. Gudrun has much more agency than Helga does. Helga Absolutely. is a very standard, very typical... Uh, romance figure, uh, the romance I mean, woman who is beautiful, no agency, uh, but is there to communicate emotions of some kind or other. Right, and I think it's almost striking enough that it almost it sort of feels like she's been imported from another genre of literature. Yeah, yeah, she feels right. she out really of place doesn't here. have that feel of a saga woman. Right, but anyway, so we leave her there uh, with her fair nickname and her lack of agency, and we move on to Ilugi the Black. Ilugi the Black uh, in Svarti. We see. Uh, the Black as a nickname a lot in the sagas, and it has sort of a, a variety of reference. Uh, sometimes it refers to uh, a complexion, somebody who is a blacksmith or is a charcoal maker and so is is standing over a fire all the time in a sort of blackened, soot-covered face. 
Uh, sometimes it refers to a personality. Sometimes like half down the black. Sometimes it refers to uh, some other kind of uh, geographical referent near where they were born. There's a lot of reasons for it, but there are a lot of the blacks. Mm-hmm. Out in the halter dog. Yes, I like that. Which I know is a favorite of yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, Festergamer. Uh, Zwega translates this as the chain dog, uh, which I think is slightly more impressive sounding than halter dog. Um, Would it be either way, chain dog that? or chained dog? Because it sounds no, like he's, he's on dog. a leash, right? Uh, but yeah, either way, he's a dog on a leash. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's not it's not necessarily a compliment in any case. No, it doesn't. He's sound somebody like it. else's trained dog. Mm-hmm. We have Goatbjorn Moldagnupsen. <laughs> now, this is essentially just a typical name, but it's important to remember that animal reference are culturally specific. Right? So, when you call somebody Goatbjorn, that means something within the culture. In English, calling an adult male a goat probably means he's either stubborn or a lecher, right? an old goat, a horny old goat kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a number of Scandinavian language contexts, goats are synonymous with incessant talking, uh, presumably because of the movement of a goat's jaw when it's chewing. Mm-hmm. Right? So I thought I was reading this as a reference to a talkative man, uh, which is rarely considered to be a positive characteristic in the sagas. Right? I know you've made the point on more than one occasion that talkativeness is associated with being dishonorable. Mm-hmm. But... So I thought we were looking at a dishonorable figure, or at least somebody we were supposed to see negatively. But then I looked at Lan Nama book, which I probably should have done in the first place, and it turns out to be a reference to a supernatural goat that joined Bjorn's herd and caused them to be fruitful and multiply. Wonderful. So, yeah, it's a magic goat thing. It has nothing to do with him at all. <laughs> That's hilarious. And it's of a course, heck of a journey to go on for that name. His father is uh, Moldagnup, and that mm-hmm. means something like Earth or Mound Gnup. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Earth, we don't really uh, know what how that all works, but I that kills me. It it just seems like one of those cases where the nickname should be really interesting, but yeah. it's just not. Just not yeah. And he's just he's just dirt gnup. Yeah. It's kind of uh, funny. So disappointing. Yeah, we've got a, a variety uh, of kings in the saga mentioned as well, like Tosti the absolutely. Warlike, Eric the Victorious, Sigurd the Ambitious, and Knut the Great, but we decided they're not major enough characters or they're not at least Icelandic, so we're gonna dismiss right. them. But we are going to throw in just one reference, uh, just because he's an interesting character, Sigtrig Silkbeard. Yeah. Uh, and that's because uh, I feel obligated to include one beard-based nickname for every saga. <laughs> uh, but also, Sigtrig's history is really interesting. He's a Hiberno-Norse king from Ireland in the late 9th into the 10th centuries. Uh, his, his sort of big moment in the sagas doesn't take place here, it takes place in Njal's saga, where he's mentioned as being the leader of the Norse faction at the Battle of Clontarf in 1014, the millennial celebration of which we are enjoying this very year. How exciting. That's right. Uh, of course, the Norse lost that battle, so maybe he's not quite as impressive as his silky beard might indicate. Well, nevertheless, he's a man who uh, likes a good bit of oil in his beard. Absolutely. Or a nice uh, <laughs> scented and uh, silky feeling. <laughs> undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. A man who takes good care of his facial hair. I don't know. Why, why don't um, we uh, silk our beards with some oil, John? I don't know. I, uh, my beard is quite frizzled and um <laughs> i imagine it's like sandpaper on the cheek of anyone i kiss well, um, i've never noticed which of course is only well <laughs> only my wife and children um lastly uh we have hraven the skipper mm-hmm. uh, whose name literally means steersman uh i think he should be outlawed just for the lameness of his nickname what the skipper yeah no no the implication is the ship belongs to him um uh, and in the translations i've checked it's always rendered as skipper yeah that's fine uh now, it's, no, but it's an interesting side note that the word skipper in English is ultimately derived from the Old Norse word skip. Oh, my God. Which is the generic name for any seagoing vessel. 
Just like ship in English, which is also derived from the Old Norse word skip. Yeah. It's a cognate lexical doublet. It happens when the same word enters a language twice and takes on different connotations. It's a handful of these with that same sound change from Old Norse to English. Uh, shirt and skirt, shin and skin, shatter and scatter. Stop me anytime. So here we are <laughs> in our history of the English language class. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so I, I just want to make the point that Hraven the Skipper, that's a good solid Old Norse nickname right there. I couldn't be There's more bored by it. There's nothing untoward about it. You just associate it with Gilligan's Island, and so you think of it as being inappropriate for a saga. <laughs> but the fact is, it's really more inappropriate for Gilligan's Island. Uh, the fact is, that's not going to win. <laughs> so let's move on. All right. I'm going to nominate uh, Goatbjorn, just because as I dug into his name, there turned out to be so much cool stuff going into that. And that ultimately, it actually refers to the magic goat that impregnated all of his female goats and gave him a herd of demigod goats. I don't <laughs> I don't really know what's going on there, but I really like the story. It's an awful long stretch. You've got to do a lot of research for that. Why don't we give it yes, to Yes, but I did it. <laughs> yes, you did, but no one else cares. Well that's why I'm giving it to all of you now. I see. Well I like Gunlog Serpent Tongue. It's a striking name. You think uh it's a striking name. <laughs> That's all you got. No. Against my, my herd of magical goats. There's no story got, behind it. It's a look, striking name. It's a striking name. There's no real great story behind it. But, um, if you're looking through the list of nicknames, it's gotta be either Gunlog Serpent Tongue or Alvin Halter Dog. Or Goatbjorn Moldegunupsen. Or, yes, but of the three, <laughs> <laughs> I think Goatbjorn, uh, ranks fairly low. Oh, I can't agree. Hmm. Uh, oh, are we we made have a split a, decision this time. We're gonna have a split decision. Before. I think. Uh, I think so. All you right. like uh, Gunlog Serpent Tongue? I'm giving it to Gunlog gonna... Serpent Tongue. It's a great okay. name. All right. I'm gonna stick with Goatbjorn. I think that's. Uh, I think it's an interesting story, an interesting name, and it sort of shows you how much can get packed into a nickname in the saga. That's absolutely right. I don't know if I like this as precedent where we each just choose a, a nickname, but maybe it would save you know. us a lot of time. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I think in situations like this where neither one of us can be convinced to change, it's entirely legitimate. All right then. A split decision. We'll let our we'll let our audience decide. All right. Notable, Notable witticisms. witticisms. All right, we got a few good ones this time out. Uh, I'm going to start with a line from early in Gunlog's career. Uh, this is when, before sailing off on his voyage, Gunlog attempts to convince Thorstein uh, to give him Helga's hand or to promise him Helga's hand uh, mm-hmm. in marriage, and it doesn't go well, right? As we remember. Thorstein thinks of Gunlog as being a little unsettled, a uh, bit of a shilly-shallier. And the response that he gets, uh, Gunlog, when he says, uh, you haven't done anything with your life, Thorstein reminds him that, in fact, he drove away uh, Steinar Onensen. Gunlog retorts, you had your father, Ale, to help you then. Even so, there aren't many farmers who would be safe if they turned down a marriage bond with me. And Thorstein replies, you save your bullying for the people up in the hills. It won't count for much down here in the marshes. I like that. The people I, of the marshes. Won't I like that. that well, first of all, yeah, it's got that kind of uh, spin to it. But I also, I just like the idea that it's easy to bully people up there on the hills in Borg. Mm-hmm. Uh, or up there where you're from. But down here in Borg, rather, um, it's not going to fly. Right? This is the, these are the stomping grounds of Ale Scala Grimson. Yeah. Uh, and we're not, we're not going to be cowed by any of you hill people. Yeah. It speaks to how, how pathetic Gunlog is. As soon as he doesn't get what he wants... He mm-hmm. immediately resorts to trying to bully, again, which is interesting, through his father's name. Not through right, his absolutely. own deeds or anything like that. It's my father. Right. And when, when Thorstein's response is, 
Uh, yeah. Gunlog actually does go running back to his dad to complain. Yes, exactly. Uh, and sends his daddy around to argue with Thorstein. It's, it's not an auspicious opening for Gunlog, but it's a great line for Thorstein. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to give Gunlog one, uh, good line here. Uh, <laughs> I think we spent a, a bit of time talking about the results of, of this moment in the text. It's when, uh, Gunlog finds himself, uh, arriving for the first time in the court of a, of, uh, Norwegian royalty. Um, he comes into Earl Eric's uh, court, and he has a seeping, oozing, mm. nasty yeah, a boil yeah. boil on his leg or on his foot. Yeah. He's asked uh, why he uh, isn't limping, and he replies very wittily off the cuff, one mustn't limp while both legs are the same length. Which is actually, it's one of those lines that gets bandied about as kind of um, typifying the the behavior of Icelanders or the attitude of Icelanders, especially when they're abroad, mm-hmm. right? That they do not like to show any kind of weakness in front of foreigners and particularly in front of Norwegians. Right. And this is part of the problem that he has with uh, with Hrofen eventually, right? That they mm-hmm. expose each other. Um, but um, I like that. I think it's a, it's a very quick, very witty line. Mm-hmm. It certainly uh, puts the Earl in an awkward position and it, it makes his advisors wake up and say, we need to test this right. guy and see what he's right. all about. And Gunlog quickly proves himself to be the <laughs> the cantankerous loser that he is. Wow. Wow. Tipping your strong? hand a bit. <laughs> uh, I guess okay. he won't be my thing, man. <laughs> All right. So as much as I like that one, I also like the poetry. And since this is a poet saga, I think we should pause over some of Gunlog's poetry. It's uh, often yeah, it seems appropriate. quite witty, quite sharp. Um, right, this is poem 14 from chapter 11. And in this chapter, Gunlog has attended a wedding and he's been sitting across the bench from Helga the whole time. And afterwards, they meet outside and they, they talk mm-hmm. for a little while. And uh, one of the things he does is to explain how frustrated he is with the whole situation. And he says this to her. Uh, basically, a description of Helga to Helga. Mm-hmm. Fair wine goddess, I must reward your father for the worst wound. The land of the flood flame steals joy from this poet and also your mother. For beneath bedclothes, they both made a band goddess so beautiful. Mm. The devil take the handiwork of that bold man and woman. Now, that may not have made sense yeah, immediately to our listeners. Right. It's hardly where for art thou, Romeo. No. Uh, but it's it's fairly good skaldic poetry. Mm-hmm. And basically what he's saying is the worst wound that Thorstein, Helga's father, ever dealt him was the creation of Helga the Fair. Right. So whenever he laid under bedclothes with Helga's mother, uh, that was his worst wound to deal to uh, old Gunlaug. Right. It's it's actually a far sight from being uh, complimentary to Helga. I mean, he refers to her as the worst thing her father did, mm-hmm. uh, admits she's beautiful, but then says the devil take the handiwork of that bold man and woman, by which he does mean Helga. Yeah. And, uh, and she then thanks him for the poem and the gift that she gives him along with it. Yes, which would be a little uh, Once again, Helga just kind of letting everybody else run right over her. It's a strange thing, and, and certainly not what you see uh, saga characters doing often. They, mm-hmm. they never stand in front of a woman and talk about sex with them in such an abrupt way. Right. Much less sex of the their, their parents. Yeah, I suppose there is kind of a creepiness factor there. There's a big creepiness factor, but Helga, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe she's not bright. But surely there has to be a moment at some point when he sort of admits... Uh, his love for her and her beauty and so forth. It's on the same page, actually. Uh, she gives him a gift and he walks outside and he meets Hrofen and they start kind of arguing a little bit. And mm-hmm. Hrofen basically tells him in a poem 
that he should find another woman. He says, glorifier of battle goddess, god of the quick flying weapon. It's not fitting for us to fight over one fair tunic goddess. Slaughter tree, south over sea, there are many such women. You will rest assured of that. I set my wave steed to sail. Now, wow. he's telling him to go find another girl. Right, plenty Goon- of fish in the sea, basically, yeah. is Robin's motto. And this is one of the only moments when I like Gunlog. Mm-hmm. He replies, there may well be a lot of women, but it doesn't look that way to me. Aw. It's very sweet. See, that's lovely. He truly does love her. He just can't be bothered to be around when he's supposed to be to mm-hmm. keep her. Uh, and, in fact, when he's speaking to her, he can't f- bring himself to actually say nice things to her, <laughs> but instead <laughs> treats her as a devil-inspired handiwork of her parents in bed. Yes. Well, you can see why she longs after him. Absolutely. <laughs> but these aren't the only verses we're going to be including. We've got, uh, right before their first duel, uh, Gunlag and Raven both have a chance to show off their skills as poets before they show off their skills as warriors, right? Because this is a duel between two men who are both famed for a pair of skills. Mm-hmm. And we haven't actually seen much of Robin's poetry, so this is sort of his chance to shine as well. But Gunlog is going to go first in this exchange of insults, this fluting poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Gunlog says, I'm ready to tread the aisle where combat is tried. God grant the poet victory, a drawn sword in my hand. Into two I'll slice the hair seat of Helga's kiss gulper. <laughs> Finally, with my bright sword, I'll sever his head from his neck. Crawford replies with this. The poet doesn't know which poet will rejoice. Wound sickles are drawn, the edge fit to bite leg. Alone and a widow, the young girl, the thorn tray will hear from the thing, though bloodied I might be, news of her man's bravery. Now, I think Gunlaw gets the better one on that one. Well, slightly. I mean, calling him Helga's kiss gulper is, uh, I mean, to make, there's no way to make that sound less pleasant. Yeah. Anyway, I like the uh, the phrasing here, too. I'll slice the hair seat. The mm-hmm. hair seat being the head, obviously, of mm-hmm. Helga's kiss gulper. Right. So he's going to split it in half and then chop it off. Yes. It's brilliant. Right. So he's just sort of slicing and dicing here. You know what's uh, interesting? If, if you mm-hmm. look at these two poems, Gunlog says, I'll slice your head open. Yeah. And then Hroffen says, I'm going to bite your leg with my sword. Mm-hmm. Which, is which is actually awesome. what happens to each of them. Yes. It's also worth noting that Kraven, I have to say, his poem doesn't really come across as being quite as um, aggressive as Gunlog's. When when you begin your insult poetry before a duel with, the poet doesn't know which poet will rejoice. Yeah, yeah, not very confident. (laughs) Really? I mean, let's let's have a little bit of confidence here. Well, he's also admitting that he's going to be bloodied, right? He says, though bloodied I might be, she'll hear of her man's bravery. Yeah, he does not not come across as confident in his swordplay. No. You know what's um, interesting? Um, there's another poem just right nearby. Um, comes uh, in poem 19, where we do see Gunlog expressing his love for Helga mm-hmm. in nice poetry. I'll just read that really quickly. The woman was born to bring war between men. The tree of the Valkyrie started it all. I wanted her sorely, that log of rare silver. Henceforward, my black eyes are scarcely of use to glance at that ringland's light Valkyrie, splendid as a swan. That really a kind happened. of oblique reference there to the uh, the dream in which yeah, she was is. figured as a swan. Absolutely, and it's um, it's it's sad because he obviously can't have her anymore. But it speaks to his it speaks to his longing and his love of this woman. It does. Uh, I also, but I question. I mean, the metaphors that Gunlog comes up with. She is a log of rare silver. There's a lot of complimentary ways to refer to somebody. 
But calling a person a log is not really... Although, hey. actually, she kind of does... That's about how much agency she has in the story. So well, let's put it this way. Would you rather have a piece of silver or a log of it? <laughs> I think that's your, that's your response? Yeah. Well, I think we're uh, talking about value here, right? All right. Well, it comes down to one of two moments. Uh, I like those two uh, insult exchanges, the, the uh, insult poetry right before the duel. Uh, I think you get kind of a nice sense of where each guy is right at that moment um, and their attitude toward one another. What you really get is that Robin simply doesn't have the same hatred of Gunlog that Gunlog has for Robin. No. Uh, he sort of has the you know capacity here to be somewhat generous or at least uh, to be somewhat sort of laid back. Although it's also worth noting that he does manage to get in a reference to the fact that he is married to uh, Helga uh, in his poem. Right. Um, but I also like the boil on the foot. I like the, uh, this sort of famous line that, that encapsulates the behavior of Icelanders abroad. Mm-hmm. Uh, a man should not limp when both legs are the same length. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I love the, the clever phrasing of the poems. I love the mm-hmm. content of the poems. I was gonna, uh, say that it should be the discussion of Helga's mother and father under the sheets. Um, just because the audacity <laughs> of saying something like that in front of the woman you love. Mm-hmm. And getting a reward for it too is is kind of strange. Um, but I agree. The the boil one mustn't limp while both legs are the same length is just so brilliantly Excellent. phrased. It has that rare uh, quality of being a notable witticism that can probably fit on a bumper sticker. Yes. All right. Outlawry. All right. So we begin our outlawry section with this question: mm. um, Is there anyone to outlaw in this saga? Yeah. There's really no really bad guy mm-hmm. in this saga. Uh, we're used to finding criminals. We're used to people doing uh, illicit things. Mm-hmm. Nothing of that sort happens here. Right. I think we're going to see this problem a lot with the uh, the sagas of the warrior poets. It's just mm-hmm. not, you know, it's a genre in which you have people competing uh, because of love. There's rarely right. kind of a, a, a straight ahead one dimensional villain like you might see in another saga. Right. I mean, uh, what, two names came to mind as I was mm-hmm. finishing up the saga, but the more out of desperation than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I was interested in Ilugi the Black because of his, uh, maybe excessive vengeance, but I understand why he mm. does what he does and it seems yep. to be reasonable and no compensation is expected or paid for what right. he does. Right. And then the other one is Hermund. And I could make a stronger argument for Hermund just because his father had already taken care of mm-hmm. some of the vengeance for Gunlaug's death. Hermann goes and runs that guy, uh, Skipper Robin through. Right. Again, seems excessive think, to me. Yeah. But. I think that's, I think that's a stretch only because, um, you know, in other sagas, I mean, we, we applauded the sons of Vestin Vestinson for yeah, killing, exactly. uh, Thorkel, right? And there's a situation where killings had already happened to pay for Vestin's death, but they wanted a taste of vengeance themselves. And of right. course, we also decided that they had probably killed the actual murderer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we gave them credit for that. Uh, right. but here, yeah, I feel like those are a, a bit of a stretch and i think we do have a couple i, I agree it's a, it's not a great saga for outlaws but we do have a couple of candidates mm-hmm. um there's there's robin right the robin the poet well i suppose uh, if you're going to look at robin you might as well look at gunlog too fair enough yeah no i think gunlog is is at least a possibility so um, let's think of these two then right and i will say um that my only argument for putting robin ahead of gunlog uh is that moment of treachery in the duel yeah uh that that robin uh Gunlag exacts a promise from Robin that he will do, he will take no advantage of Gunlag uh, in this moment of truce. And then Robin swings a sword at him and gives him what's ultimately a death blow uh, at a time when he had given his word of honor that he would not do anything. Yeah. I mean, I, that's the pretty only bad. Reason, the only reason I would argue for Gunlag over Robin 
is that Gunlog is really just not a good person. Um, and I'm, I should, I should, <laughs> more admit, generally speaking, <laughs> I should admit that I'm coming fresh off of reading, uh, Preb and Mullengrek Sorensen's, uh, values in Gunlog Saga, mm-hmm. in which he analyzes each of these characters. And he makes a really good argument for Hraven being an ideal man in Icelandic society. Mm-hmm. And that Gunlog is the exact opposite of that. He's a mirror image. He mm-hmm. is exactly what you do not want in Icelandic society. Yeah. And that's why he has all his trouble. Every time he's in Iceland, he can't really deal with the social structures. Mm-hmm. He can't de- really deal with the community that he's supposed to. Well, and he lacks – there's sort of this one thing that we – that is so much a part of the sagas and so obvious that we almost don't even think about it or talk about it, which is this idea of your word is your bond. Right? Yeah. In a In a land in which law is really just mutually agreed upon behavioral guidelines mm-hmm. – uh, a man like Gunlag, who says he'll do something and then feels no compulsion to follow up on what he says, is much more than just yeah. kind of being the, as we said, you know, shilly shally or whatever. Um, he's actually kind of a threat to the entire social system. Absolutely. That if everybody exactly stops right. behaving according to their word, uh, the system collapses. Right? right. And Gunlag is a guy you can't rely upon to behave according to his word. Right. And even in, in the simplest form. So if you remember early on in the saga, Gunlog has his father buy him a, a portion of a boat that's about to travel to Norway. Mm-hmm. Rather than help the men as a typical character would do, you help prepare the right. boat, you get things ready. Gunlog lets other people do that. And he wanders right. off to go and, and romance Helga a little bit mm-hmm. and then asks Thorstein for her hand in marriage. Right. He is not contributing. I think that's a good example of him not mm-hmm. contributing to society in the way that he should and then demanding uh, a woman or demanding some kind of compensation for just who he is as right. though his name alone is good enough. And where we see I think that's a good point where we see a figure like someone like Grettir um, who also isn't big on contributing to everyday work uh, when the moment comes for heroism there's Grettir to defeat the undead monster threatening the farm. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we see Gunlag at any moment prove himself to be worthy enough or useful enough to society to make up for this tendency toward laziness, indecision, and a kind of loose playing around with his his vows and his bonds. Well, and he's a dangerous individual. If you if you think about his uh, interactions with Hrafn in the Swedish court, mm-hmm. Um, that's an instance where he comes in, Robin's already established in the court to some degree, and yeah. Gunlog starts throwing his weight around, and he wants to give his poem first. Now, mm-hmm. the Swedish king kind of notices Gunlog's behavior, and I think he he's somewhat making light of it. It's certainly not a compliment to Gunlog that he says, let's let this guy go first. Right. He seems to be an ornery kind of person. Uh, right, well, and it's uh, uh, it also may be one of the situations where we've seen in other sagas uh, – outsiders like seeing if they can kind of rile up Icelanders. Yeah. Uh, and in this case, you know, if you can get two Icelanders to go after each other, well, that's just gravy. Exactly. But in uh, terms of uh, the Icelandic community, again, uh-huh. Robin's being a member of, of Gunlog's own community. Right. Gunlog is shaming him publicly in front of other people. So again, now, I'm just making the argument here. If we're sure. going to, if we're going to outlaw someone who hasn't really committed a crime, we have to weigh Robin's treachery in the duel against Gunlog's general, very, very dangerous disposition. Mm-hmm. And so I would argue that we need to send Gunlog on a, maybe on a minor outlawry so that he can think about who he is <laughs> and how he done. fits into society. <laughs> um, I think either one of them is looking at minor outlawry. I don't think okay. we have you know, anything sort of horrific here, but somebody needs a timeout. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I, I got to say, I mean, you've making you make an excellent case. I I can actually see my way clear to this, but Kraven, this this there's no moment when Gunlog's word is broken as blatantly and with as fatal consequences as what Kraven does in that duel. Well, I'll give uh, you here. You have a, a man who, in a moment of dueling, at a time when he has lost the duel, uh violates his word in order to get in a cheap shot at an opponent, and then says, I did it so that you wouldn't have Helga. Which, remember, the whole point of the duel is that the winner essentially gets Helga. Right. Uh, and so he's basically said, I understand the terms of the duel, but now that I've lost, I'm going to renegotiate the terms of the duel so that you die too. Well, let me ask at the you very this, least, does he, poor sportsmanship. It's poor sportsmanship. Does he do that out of love for Helga or out of hatred for Gunlaug? No, I think it's spite. It's uh, just there's pure no, spite. I, I don't read it. There's no suggestion that uh, Helga's happiness matters to him at all. I'll just uh, point out, some scholars like to read that as a, a testimonial to his love for her. I think I'm with you. It's more spiteful than anything. Uh, I mean, well, he we does say, about- remember, he, he says that he has to go off and kill Gunlaug, um, not because... Right. It's going to show his love for Helga, but because Helga won't sleep with him anymore. Yes. And, well, let's right. go back to why he marries Helga in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right after uh, Gunlaug shames him in the yep. court. And he says, uh, I'm not going to mm-hmm. get you back here, but you're going to know when I get you back. And he right. runs right to Helga's father and says, let's mm-hmm. get this done and arranges the marriage very, very quickly. So Absolutely. Spite seems to be the primary motivating factor for yeah, Profin. Yeah, I mean, which is, you know, which again is kind of a a, a miserable sort of way to behave, right? You yeah. sort of marry uh, a woman because you know it will annoy her betrothed, uh, thus destroying her happiness as well as his. Yeah. And incidentally, your own, right? I mean, yeah. It's sort of classic cutting off your nose to spite your face. But this is an issue of honor on both parts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is, Hraven is acting honorable. He's responding to a slight to his honor. And his revenge is designed to shame Gunlog and take from him something that he wants. Right. It's still a question of honor. I think, though, that Gunlog is the more dangerous of the two. He's the mm-hmm. one that prompts this this aggression on Hraven's part. Um, he's the one that upsets the apple cart all the time. But how you respond to provocation is up to you. And Hraven, we're now finding a pattern of spiteful mm. and dishonorable behavior. Uh, which is not a requirement. I mean, Thorstein Aelson has to deal with Gunlog being a jerk who doesn't stick to his word, but it, it remains above reproach throughout the saga. Absolutely. Uh, Robin is the one who chooses to respond by being kind of dishonorable, by being sneaky. Uh, all the things that saga uh, writers hate and all the things that, that saga audiences, I think, would recognize as at least somewhat villainous. I, I think much like we were in uh, Best Bloodshed, we're kind of at a stalemate here. I think we might like be. Like we were in the, in the, uh, in the best bloodshed. Cause I, I'm feeling kind of strongly that Gunlog needs to time mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Um, but you make a very, very good case for Hoffman and I understand why he does. Could we have a saga first? Since we're only offering minor outlawry here, that we send them both on. Dismiss both of them. Yes. Just for, like I said, it's a timeout. They've got to reevaluate their approach to life in Iceland. For three years apiece. Of course, you realize that we have to find two different ships for them to leave on. <laughs> yeah, they can't go together. That would be uh, bad news. And we probably have to make sure that one of them goes north and one of them goes south. They're just going to find each other in Norway and continue to duel. Right. Uh, so with, in the absence of a, a very clear villain mm-hmm. in the saga, I'm going to suggest that we. We're going to get give... rid of both the protagonists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm the, I'm, I think that's fine. I think let's do it. 
All right. Minor outlawry for both of them. Saga Thing History made here today. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Bye, guys. <laughs> Thing Man. All right. Uh, so here we are, uh, trying to pick a Thingman from the dregs of this saga at this point. Uh, we flipped a coin, and uh, it's my turn to go first. And here I am. Uh, Andy has yeah. totally outmaneuvered me here. I've just agreed to outlaw both the saga's protagonists, thus leading me to uh, sift through the silt of the rest of the saga for oh, a few grains like of you, gold. You would seriously have chosen Gunlog or Hraven as your well, thing, man? Well, we'll never know, will we? Um, I wish... <laughs> I know here's you what I have. see. I see this as a saga in which um, the older generation, in some ways, outshines the younger. Uh, yes. What we see which here is, is two, kind of a standard well, trope in the sagas. We sometimes see that quite often. Uh, we certainly saw it with Bandamana Saga, um, but uh, sometimes it's the older guys. You know, someone like Nyal, uh, who only gets better with age. Uh, well, it's not surprising though in in a in the 13th century that they might be looking back to mm-hmm. a golden age, mm-hmm. right? And so the older uh, settlement age characters right. tend to shine a little bit brighter right. than their more contemporary counterparts. Uh, but there's a yeah, there's a definite sense here that the fathers involved, um, Ilugi, Onan, Thorstein, um, are to some degree more kind of even tempered, even handed than their hot tempered offspring. Yeah, uh, and obviously Helga's not an option for me. Uh, she barely has an interesting line in the saga. Uh, Hraven and Gunlog are both off the table now, and so I'm looking at uh, the fathers uh, as distinct I, options. Can I just say, that I don't think you should reject Helga so quickly. If there's one character... <laughs> well, she could be anything I want her to be, because who knows? Yeah. If there's one character in this saga that I'd want in my tent with me, it's probably Helga the Fair. Well, that's, that's between you and, frankly, your wife. Uh, but <laughs> in terms of choosing a thing, man... I think I, I I begin to look at the saga as skewing older in the way that it sort of uh, uh, presents its characters. Uh, yeah, I would agree with so that. So we've got Onand, the Gothi. We've got Thorstein Eilson. We've got Elugi the mm-hmm. Black. Uh, all of them good, interesting choices. Uh, I'm not terribly interested in Onand uh, for various reasons. I won't bother going yeah. into them. I'm not surprised. Uh, I hadn't but, really even considered him yeah. as a legitimate, well, he's a legitimate. option. Uh, and we've already agreed there are certain figures who are off limits in the saga because they'll occur in more prominent roles in sagas that we're going to see. At a right. Later date. So these are major characters like Olaf Peacock. Right. This would be a great time to seize Olaf Peacock. Right. But no, but we've agreed it's inappropriate. Right. And someone like Halford, troublesome poet, is absolutely off limits. Right. Uh, but so uh, Thorstein and Elugi are both. They're both prominent figures. They're both important figures. They're both interesting figures. Um, Ilugi, uh, I feel like he's one of those kind of also-rans. Uh, he's a guy who you always sort of see in the sagas, but he's never the most important guy. Um, uh, he's not somebody that would lend a lot of name recognition to my, uh, thingman. And he's not a guy who necessarily has a great deal of, um, activity going on. He's involved right. with things, but he's not usually, he's usually reacting to events, I find. So you're basically just telling me about the guy that I, I'll have to choose since there's well, <laughs> only two guys. You're, you're, you're complimenting no, my thingman. No, uh, in fact, um, Thorstein Ailson, uh, is, of course, I mean, certainly an interesting choice, right? Yes. Um, and I have to seriously consider him. Yeah. But there is another guy out there, a guy we haven't th- talked about, a guy who is, shows up all the way through this saga, and that's Scofty the Law Speaker. Uh, <laughs> Scoffy the Law Speaker is the most famous law speaker in Icelandic history. Uh, he's Hraven's cousin in this saga. 
uh, and so Onan's nephew. And he is uh, a figure who ties a lot of sagas together, uh, who is instrumental in shaping Icelandic law, especially in the early 11th century, when Christianity and uh, Icelandic tradition are kind of coming together and having to find a new kind of uh, uh, relationship to one another. Uh, Thorstein is a great figure, and I think um, I'd be happy to have him, but I think Skafti, because I'm so interested in the law, because I'm so interested in that culture, I'm going to have to go with uh, Skafti the law speaker. Bit of a dark horse candidate, I know, but I'm pretty pleased with him. Well, you should be. He's an all right guy. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to admit that I just scooped you again. I saw the look on your face. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to admit that I'm looking at my uh, write-up on Scotty the Law Speaker and who he's uh, related to. Yes, tell me all about tell me all about my new thing, man. Please, power he has, Law Speaker for 27 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the longest his, the longest tenured Law Speaker in Icelandic history. It's worth noting. Inherits his father's gother. Mm-hmm. Um, major player. He is. In Icelandic tell, tell us all about his family connections. Why don't you? But, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, that Thorstein Aelson looks mighty fine. He is mighty fine. I think, I think Thorstein Aelson, I think he comes off very well in this saga. Um, I think he, uh, aside from his, obviously his, his moment of weakness in which he tries to expose his infant daughter. Okay. Uh, all right. Now I'm choosing Thorstein Aelson, obviously family connections, think. blah, 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 mm. blah, blah. Let me ask you this, John. Yeah. Would you have picked Skopti had I not mentioned him at some point in conversations? Oh, absolutely. I I knew with this saga, if I won the coin toss, where I was going. So I didn't shoot myself in the foot by mentioning him. No, not him. at all. Not at all. That uh, makes me feel slightly better. Uh, in fact, the reason that I chose to pick first in this saga rather than deferring was explicitly so that I could get Skopti the yes. Lost Speaker. Well, I hope that the saga of Hallfrey, the Troublesome Poet, has some very good characters in it. I've looked I'm, ahead. Uh, uh, I think I'll be pleased. <laughs> <laughs> I think you will as well. I I leave this very happy to get Thorstein Aelson. I think you should be. I think he's a solid uh, thing, man. I think he's a great choice, and I think he comes off well in this saga. Look, he is extremely, extremely well connected. Mm-hmm. He comes from a noble family. He does. Most of Iceland looks back to that particular family, and Thorstein as kind of the progenitor mm-hmm. of many of Iceland's greatest Absolutely men. Absolutely right. Um, very, very well connected, very, very powerful, very, very well respected. He behaves extremely well in this saga and in almost every other saga. So I'm not at all disappointed to have Thorstein Aelson in my troop. I just kind of really wanted Skopti. I don't blame you. Uh, so, but I think both of us end up with good thingmen this time out. I think I've got the edge on you, but I think uh, neither one of us needs to be uh, ashamed or embarrassed about our thingmen. No, but uh, again, the thingmen section is the most stressful for me. <laughs> Final rating. And now, before we begin final ratings, I think it's worth noting, as I'm still reeling from John's treachery, <laughs> once again, I'll, oh, I might add, that uh, this is uh, payback for once Killer again, Store. It is not payback for anything. Uh, you you claim frequently that Killer Store wasn't featured prominently enough in Eric's saga. And um, I, re- I remain convinced of that position. While I was going to take Skapti in this, uh, in this saga, I would <laughs> now, as the... Uh, the opponent. I see. As the offended that, party. Yeah. Skopti is featured on like two pages of the saga. Killer Untrue. Store was likewise. Skopti has agency in a number of places in the saga. He is the one who's instrumental in arranging the match between Robin oh, and Helga. come on. He's a guy uh, that people go and say, hey, what do you think? He gives advice. That's about it. That's basically no, no, he, what Killer he Store was doing Robin, in the Eric saga. 
he accompanies Robin to Thorstein's hut, uh, at the, to the, the booth at the all thing. Can you? Uh, and makes the match. Can you not admit that he's an extremely minor character in this saga? He's not extremely minor. I'll, I'll guarantee that he's minor, but we eliminated both the protagonists. <laughs> what do you want? All we have left are the lesser figures. Look, if you, can't, you convinced if you me can't to eliminate my both sour of our grapes, duelists, then I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I find your sour grapes to be the sweetest of wines. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's time for final ratings. We need to decide, uh, what mm-hmm. we think of this saga ultimately. And so I what you have to say, I have to say I'm really torn. My mm-hmm. initial, I'll give you my initial response, which is I don't like this saga. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's, it's not a, tell us what you really think. It's not a fun read. It's very inconsistent in terms of what it seems to want to be. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I think both of us would agree that that's a major problem of, of this particular saga. At the yes. one hand, it's a bridal quest romance type narrative, but not really. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, heroic saga of a warrior poet, but not really. Right. No matter where we go or what we do with this character, we don't get the kind of development of the individual moments mm-hmm. that we are used to and that we that we seek in the sagas. So on that point, I would say it's got to be like five or below. Mm-hmm. But then the more I read about it and think about it, I have to consider that this might be intentional on the part of the author. Hmm. That if he's trying to talk about Gunlaug's inconsistencies and Gunlaug's shilly-shallying ways, oh. is he experimenting with the narrative in that regard as well that this is a mm-hmm. this is a narrative that's confused about its own genre does it fit into the romance and chivalric genre does it fit mm-hmm. into the the heroic saga narrative genre is it a warrior poet's saga is it what what the hell is this and so you're what you're considering is whether the author is intentionally playing with the motifs of different genres exactly. as opposed to muddling them inadvertently. Yes, and I mean that really that's really what it comes down to. If I knew what the author had to say that this mm-hmm. yes, I'm sure if we confronted him with this now he's like, "Of course that's what I in- intended." What... <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, in- muddling, trying different things. Right? Um so I I'm I'm really conflicted as to how to how mm-hmm. to grade this one. And so maybe I'm going to stick with um a 5 with a a half point extra for the possibility that it's uh, it's intentional. <laughs> but it was on purpose. <laughs> yeah. But again, it just doesn't... To mm-hmm. me, despite the fact that this is one of uh, really the 19th century's favorite sagas, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, a, it's a romantic saga. People really speak mm-hmm. to it. It's often called the most modern of all the sagas, in part mm-hmm. because it deals with... I, I think that in the 19th century, anyways, they were making the argument that it deals with hu- real human issues and the conflict mm-hmm. between the individual and society in intriguing ways. Mm-hmm. That may well be, but I think you have to you have to really try to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so for you're me, saying five point five, I'm giving it a five and a half. I think I All could right. be persuaded that it's higher, but it just doesn't speak to me. This saga. Mm-hmm. All right. No, I, I think I'll say that I I come came to very similar conclusions to you. Um, I think I think this saga. Although actually, I have to say I liked it a little bit better than you, just as a read. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it has a lot to recommend it on a first reading. Uh, several of the figures are complex. Uh, Gunlog in particular offers us a different sort of hero than we're used to seeing. He doesn't seem to be motivated by wealth, by ambition, or even by honor. Or at least he doesn't interpret honor the way most saga figures do. I'm not sure what he likes, though. I don't and, think well, he right. knows. Uh, but then there's also, there's, we add into the saga a scope of adventure uh, that few other sagas can match. I mean, Gunlog travels extensively around the North Sea countries, right around the millennium, which is just a great time for him to be on the move. 
Uh, so he gives us glimpses of several important courts, and he foreshadows England's eventual absorption into the Anglo-Scandinavian world. And I appreciate all that. Uh, yeah, but I think you're... I, I see where you're coming from, but... Well, I, I'm about to say but, so... <laughs> okay, good, yes. Then give give uh, us your butt, John. Oh, I'm I'm going to give you both barrels of my butt. Uh, but for me, barrels? there's a lot wrong. Uh, there's, I don't necessarily give this author the same credit for doing this on purpose. Uh, I think what we've got here is a really muddled narrative. Uh, the author is undecided about what sort of a saga he's trying to write. Uh, we said, you, you gave us the genres, but it's a romance without a meaningful connection between the lovers. Yeah. Uh, it's a saga without a sense of honor-fueled mayhem. I mean, it's, it doesn't... It doesn't actually achieve any of the goals of those genres. Mm-hmm. It almost seems to combine these motifs without any real sense of how they're supposed to all fit together. Yeah. And so unless it's a commentary on genre fiction, then it kind right. of fails. Although then you still have to sort of – I mean, Don Quixote doesn't work because it fails exactly. as yeah. a, a knight-errant romance. It, fa- it, it succeeds because it successfully parodies and satires yes, that genre. Exactly. Uh, and this author doesn't seem to know how to get at the conventions, the, the vulnerable conventions mm-hmm. of the genres he's trying to satirize, if indeed that's what he's doing. Right. It, yeah, it ends up feeling uh, more experimental than... Yeah. Than, I mean, uh, Gunlog is kind of more of an aimless and feckless wanderer than a star-crossed lover. Yeah. Uh, his actions aren't really motivated by love so much as a kind of generalized petulance. Hmm. Uh, it's a fun read, but it's a frustrating saga. Uh, I do like the travel though, and there's some clever writing. Oh yeah. So I'll, I'll give it a shilly shallying five. Oh. I'll, I'll come right down in the middle, uh, and give it a straight five. Yeah, I think even with the travel stuff, to me, like we did in the, in the, uh, summary episode, we have to do a bit of digging on our own to, mm-hmm. to appreciate kind of those moments and where mm-hmm. he is and what's going on. So yeah, it just doesn't ever really come around to doing whatever it intended to do. Now, that said, I think it's a great saga for people to read, but not a great yeah. saga for you to start with. No. Right? But I think it, it's a, a saga to read once you've got, you know, you know enough other sagas to understand what the author may be trying to accomplish here, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not he succeeds. And in terms of uh, teaching, for those of you out there who are, are uh, teachers, this is a great saga to introduce into any number of kinds of classes, just because sure. it allows you to talk about genre, playing with genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and dis- when it is so clearly, uh, in conversation with continental traditions. Yes. Right. In some ways. Absolutely. And so it matches up very nicely with certain other, uh, continental texts. Oh, it'd be a nice bridge from, uh, romance, uh, from the continent. Mm-hmm. Maybe doing a Tristan saga or something like that. Or not Tristan yep. saga. Maybe okay. doing something like Tristan and Isolde and then trying mm-hmm. to move your way towards Iceland and the sagas in a survey course. It would work very, very yep. nicely. But all right. So a five and a half from Andy, a five from me, uh, a, uh, not terribly impressive, uh, 10.5 total. No, our That's lowest right. yet, I believe. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, we've gone lower. Really? Um, Where did we go low? Yeah, oh, Eric. Saga. Yes. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Eric. How quickly we forget. Uh, rightly so. But alright, so that's, uh, that's it for now. Next time we're gonna be doing, uh, Halford the Troublesome Poet, a kind of companion saga to this one, mm-hmm. uh, in which we'll see figures from this saga in that one, just as we saw sagas from that in this. But for now, keep up with Saga <laughs> Thing on social media. We're on Facebook at Saga Thing Podcast, on Twitter at Saga Thing Pod, and you can shoot us an email at SagaThingPodcast at Gmail. And while you can download us in a number of places, if you're downloading us from iTunes, please leave a review to help us get our uh, podcast out there to more people. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.
<laughs> oh. <laughs> what the hell was that? Uh, I was trying to uh, laugh at the joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I was trying to be natural. Oh.